Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Matthew West podcast. I can't wait for the conversation that I'm going to get to have today. More importantly, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation because I believe it's going to inspire you and open your eyes in a really important and significant way. But first, a couple of important announcements. Number one, have you heard? Have you heard that I just released a brand new live version of the song, The God Who Stays? That's right. I said live. You know why? Because live music is just one of the many things that's been taken away from us in 2020, and I've been missing it dearly. And so being a little bit sentimental, I gathered some of the live recordings that we've done. Most were done at the beginning of 2020 in New York City, right before the country was shut down. And that's why I'm putting out a live EP called Live Before the World Shut Down. How's that? for an appropriate title. So the song, The God Who Stays, is out now. The EP will come out on October 30th, so you can pre-save it. Wherever you stream music, you'll be able to find six songs live before the world shut down. You'll hear The God Who Stays, Truth Be Told. You'll even hear a special version of the song, Nobody, that I originally wrote and recorded with Casting Crowns. So be on the lookout for the Live Before the World Shut Down EP. And speaking of live music, you know we've had a lot of fun trying to find some creative and unique ways to still share a concert experience with you. Back in August, we had West Fest. Well, guess what? It was so much fun that the band and I wanted to get back together for another special night live from the Storyhouse, West Fall Fest. What makes this different from West Fest? Well, we added the word fall. I mean, it's going to be epic, <laughs> and uh, we're going to have a great time, so can't wait to share this night. The whole West fam's going to be there, so you can get your tickets at matthewwest.veeps.com. That's matthewwest.veeps.com. I told my team, make sure that the tickets are super affordable so everybody can attend, and that's why tickets are only 10 bucks. But as a listener of this podcast, when you enter the code MWPODCAST, you get a dollar off that. So nine bucks to join us on October 16th for West Fall Fest. It's going to be epic. Hey, one more thing before we get into today's conversation. I just want to say that my prayers are with the president and the first lady who've been recently diagnosed with COVID-19. My prayers are also with everybody around the country and around the world who've had the same diagnosis and the families who've lost a loved one. This virus is no joke. It's not something to be taken lightly. And regardless of our political preferences, our our leanings, our opinions, and gosh, if you look at Facebook for five minutes, you know that this world is not short on opinions. May we all agree on one thing, that now more than ever, we need to be hitting our knees and praying for our country and being reminded that God says, if we will call on him, he will hear us and he will heal our land. That's my prayer today. I hope that's your prayer too. All right, let's go. Today's guest is a University of Texas graduate where he was a star linebacker. He was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in 2012, spent six seasons playing in the NFL for the Browns and the Eagles. Since then, he's traded the football field for the television studio where he's crushing it on Fox Sports 1 as the co-host of my favorite sports talk show, Speak for Yourself, with Marcellus Wiley. He's also been known to wear some pretty incredible suits, so I put on a suit just for this interview, just to be like him. (laughs) 
He's not just speaking for himself in the sports world, though. He's become a leading voice for change in our world when it comes to the discussion of the racial divide that still exists in our country today. Of all the noise, all the voices, all the opinions, even all the well-intended people trying to speak on the matter, his videos called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man have been some of the most meaningful and impactful conversations that I've found that have helped me in my own personal journey of gaining a better understanding of what it means to be black in America and how I, as a white man in America, can lead myself and my family on a path of understanding, acceptance, and love. I want to change the world. He wants to change the world. And that's why I'm super excited to speak to him and learn from him today. I think you're going to be impacted by today's guest. I know I have been. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with Emmanuel Acho. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm blessed. I'm thankful that you take the time like this, man. I'm sure you've been running like crazy. Running and gunning, my friend. The pleasure is mine. I have been a fan of yours. Let me go back to (laughs) 2010. Don't even say that. (laughs) You say that like there was a defining moment. There was. It was when I had heard your song, When I Say I Do. Oh, wow. And I've convinced myself, I was like, one day, whenever I get married or engaged (laughs) or anything along those lines, I was like, you know what? One day I'm going to play that for my bride, like on my wedding day. But then I'm like, wait a second. Now I know Matthew West. So he's going to do it. That's it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So so, you doing this interview is really just insurance that I'll be your wedding singer. Yes. You were on the hook, sir. Oh man. (laughs) I will gladly return that favor, my friend. In fact, in honor of you and the amazing suits that I've seen you wearing on <laughs> on Fox Sports 1. Dude, I for real, I went into my house before this interview and put on my finest suit, the suit that I wore to the Grammys this past year. Yes. So I'm literally sitting in my studio wearing a suit jacket just to feel like I'm on the set with you so I look as cool as you, but I'm still wearing shorts, but I put the jacket on. <laughs> Hey, there's no issue. I wear sandals behind the desk. Every day. <laughs> Serious? Heck yeah. Don't get it twisted, man. Oh, man. Well, I'm oh. honored to hear that. I had no idea you had even heard my music, but uh, you tell me when that wedding day is coming. Is a wedding day coming anytime soon, by the way? No, nah, dude, it isn't. It was my sophomore year in college, which would have been, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years ago. I don't know how I heard the song. And so I was like, whenever the heck that day comes, I'm going to play and sing that song. So then, but get this. So now I go to the NFL and I have an affinity for the piano. So I taught myself how to play the piano. But forever, dude, I couldn't find the freaking chords to the song. Oh, man. I mean, so like for two years, I assert to the point where I don't know if like I tweeted or something at you like years ago. Yeah. And I couldn't find the chords. Then finally, about three years ago, I found the chords and um, the rest is freaking history. So you even know how to play the song then? I'm not sure if I still do. I just ran up to the keyboard. I haven't played this thing in ages. I heard you can play some piano, though. I mean, I try. Let me see. You taught yourself? I did. I taught myself in college. This is amazing. We're going to get a concert right here. Let me see. Uh... <laughs> Let's see. Let's see if I freaking remember. Where do I go after this? So I can't read music, so I have to play by ear. Yeah, it's and got like some weird chord movement for sure. Wait, I'm give me all of a minute and thirty seconds. This is amazing. 
I always play by ear. Yeah, yeah, me too. This is amazing. He knows. (laughs) I gotta find this. Like, what is this? E? Yeah, so I gotta get my guitar in front of me. Yeah, get your guitar in front of you, dude. What are we doing? Well, listening to you play, it's clear you need me at your wedding. Let me just <laughs> yes. No, I'm just obviously. Um, let me see. That sounds good, though. What key are you in? This is what's wrong. Cause I know I'm. Oh, you're in D. I think I'm in D. So it's a. Uh, there must be a God. Yeah. I believe yeah. it's true. Yeah. Cause I, I can, can see his love. Yeah. When I look at you, and he must have a plan for this crazy life. Because he brought you here and placed you by my side. And I have never been so sure. Come on, man. We're just two dudes singing a love song. <laughs> Let's go! Let's go, dude. I'm telling you. Anyway. Uh, dude, I, of all the ways that I imagined this interview starting, this was nowhere near even the top 10 ways. This beats every possible introduction. To the, this is all going in the interview, by the way. I hope it does. Well, you got a wedding singer, so you just tell me when and where, <laughs> and I'll put my suit on and rock it. But that's amazing, dude. That oh, is amazing. My man. So, yes, nonetheless, the pleasure is mine, my friend. I'm honored to hear you say that, dude. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I just got off set about an hour ago with a solid show, and now my life really starts as I figure out you know, the next moves. Every day is a whirlwind, man. Every day is a surprise, so it's all good. Every day you're at Fox, right? Yep. You're living in L.A. half the year now? In L.A. full-time. So I moved from Austin, Texas to L.A. two months ago when I started my show with Fox. Coincidentally enough, it was at the same time uncomfortable conversations with a black man took off. So yeah, everything just happened at once. Well, I noticed like just as you started Speak for Yourself, you had to take like a day off and Marcellus Wiley was giving you a hard time because you were the new guy and you were already getting like days off to go sign your book deal with Oprah or whatever it was. I don't know what you were gone for, but do you remember when he was giving you a hard time? Well, here's the thing. When I left, I couldn't tell anybody, but I had left to go sit down with commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, to do that episode. But I, I had to keep it like super under embargo because of how big a deal it was. So he didn't realize that was why I left. But meanwhile, I'm just out here, you know, trying to have a conversation with the most important person in the NFL. Oh, my goodness. And what a conversation it was. Yeah. It was a two-part interview, right? Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway from that interview with Roger Goodell? I would say how transparent he was. I think that Roger Goodell embodied what I wish a lot more people in America would embody, which is... I'm not too proud to admit that I've got something wrong. Mm. You know, like I'm not too proud to realize that maybe I made a mistake here and there. And now Roger Goodell hasn't done everything right. He's not going to do everything right. Not at all. But for the commissioner of the NFL, one of the most powerful people in America to be willing to sit down with me and say, you know what, Emmanuel, 
I have made some mistakes. Yeah. To me, that spoke volume. Yeah, I could feel that from him. In fact, I wrote down something that he said at the very beginning of that conversation. I think it was in response to, okay, why are you doing this conversation with me? And he said, well, you really don't learn until you're uncomfortable. Until you're uncomfortable. And I thought that was really telling just right off the bat that he was willing to go there and willing to go there with you. Did you expect the kind of response that it's gotten? Oh, I was completely surprised. Remember, Matthew, I didn't do this to blow up. I do a lot of things in my life to quote unquote go viral. I'm a sports analyst. Like my job is to, to a degree, be clickbaity. But for one of the most recent times, I was just speaking genuine, man. Like after the murder of George Floyd, I was just a distraught black man trying to figure out how to navigate my life, mm. how to navigate my emotions, how to navigate society. And I said, wait a second, I have the gift of public speaking. I need to do something. So I called my best friend, who's an Olympic gold medalist for the 2016 Rio Olympics, anchored the four by 100 meter relay for the women, called my other close friend, who's a wedding videographer. And I said, hey, guys, I want to shoot this. So the wedding videographer, he came with his wife, my best friend, Mo. She came. She acted (laughs) as my producer. The wedding videographer, he shot it. And dude, we just shot the first episode like that. After that, four days later, I get a call. No caller ID number. All I hear is, Acho mcconaughey speaking no way i'm like uh matthew mcconaughey he's like yeah man he's like i want to have a conversation with you i said well i'm taping my next episode in three days he said let's do it tomorrow i said "Uh, uh, uh, okay okay we can do it tomorrow no way so that's how that happens two weeks later i get a call from oprah her team had reached out to me now we're on a zoom call i tell her hey i'm trying to turn this into a book He's like, you know, I have an imprint. I was like, I did not know you had an imprint, Oprah. Unbelievable. And she was like, yeah, I'd love to partner with you on this project. And the rest is history, dude. So McConaughey calls you, which by the way, like who's the most handsome Matthew that you've talked to? (laughs) You know what? Don't answer that. Let's leave it alone. Okay. You're the best singing. Yeah, I'm the best singer. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. That's incredible. That's just unbelievable how that came. And like you said, you weren't doing it with any like strategy necessarily other than using your gift. One thing you just said though, that you knew you had a gift for public speaking. Most people are scared to death of that, let alone acknowledging that they think that's an actual area of strength. Is that something that you had always known about you or people had encouraged you that you had that gift along? When did you discover that? That's a good question. So I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor. And when I say grew up in the church, not like the figure of speech, but literally like Sunday, three times a service. (laughs) Wednesday was in church. Friday or Saturday, whatever like the Friday night service was. I didn't have Halloweens. We went to Hallowed Be Thy Name (laughs) on October 31st. (laughs) So that was my young adult life. And so I spent my whole life looking up to a man and my father who wore suits and who talks in front of crowds. So what's crazy, Matthew, people don't realize oftentimes my uncomfortable conversations I'm really just preaching. It's just watered down. For example, what happens when you sit inside a church? You'll hear a pastor give an analogy to make a point. That's all I'm doing is speaking in analogies, not necessarily parables, but I'm speaking in parallels. Man, well said. Absolutely. I didn't realize this was going to be two preacher's kids talking to each other. (laughs) That's how it happens. I go and I venture in life to where I'm skilled. I was 6'2", 240 pounds. So I'm like, okay, I'll play in the NFL. Well, I have the ability to speak and present. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do that as well. Where did you grow up? 
Born and raised in Dallas, Texas, my friend. Okay, so Austin became home just because that's where you went to college? Absolutely. And so I went to college in Austin, and then when I was in the NFL, I was working on my master's degree at the University of Texas. Okay. I would go back every off-season in Austin to work on my master's, so then it just became home. Okay, so you didn't just get your undergrad, you decided to take it further and you got a master's. In true Nigerian fashion, sir. <laughs> Explain that. Explain true Nigerian fashion. Okay, so Nigerian fashion. Nigerians, you must be a doctor. You must be a lawyer. You must be an engineer. Like doctor, lawyer, engineer are your only profession options. That's it? That's it, dude. That's it. That is, that is it. So football player was like underachieving. Exactly. Unless you go get another degree. True story. There's a study that I want to say 8% of Americans have a postgraduate degree, whereas 25% of Nigerians. Of that 8%, 1% of Americans have like a doctorate degree, whereas 8% of Nigerians. What's behind that? It's genuinely just a fact of ridiculous hard work. Unbelievable. From our parents. It's just a matter of like, we see our parents grind. So I go to Nigeria every summer on a medical mission trip with my family's organization, Living Hope Ministries. We go with 40 doctors and nurses. And one time, one of the American doctors came with us and he said, this is like the projects in America on steroids. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, not only is this dearth, but like, this is like the dregs of dregs of society. And so Nigerians know nothing but work hard, work hard, work hard. And I think they pass that down. Wow. That's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about this family. It's called Living Hope is the ministry? Living Hope Ministries, man. Livinghopeministries.us. If anybody wants any more information, not that I'm plugging, but that's what we do, man. And so finally, we built a hospital. So my brother, one year older than me, played nine years in the NFL, going on year 10, although he has other stuff on his plate. And my mom and dad are both doctors. My dad doctored in psychology, mom doctored in nurse practitioning. And so I've probably gone on this mission trip 15 to 20 times. And I'll say this, the most important thing I've ever done in my life for my life is go on a missions trip and go on this missions trip. Wow. Because as an American quote unquote football player, you're a star. You know what I mean? Like, as you can imagine, like you alluded to, like you've been to the Grammys, you've done this and that. The American dream says that if you earn all this money and you have a bunch of followers, you're rich and famous, then you have achieved success. But then you go to Nigeria or a third world country and you realize, oh, it's the little things in life that matter. Mm. It's family. It's love. It's care. It's compassion. Going to Nigeria and going on mission trips, it's just kept me grounded, realizing I'm not that special. It's only by the grace of God, man. And so your whole family leads that every single year without fail. You head to Nigeria. Do you go to the same area every time or is it a different area? Yeah. My dad built a compound in the village he grew up. It is in a place called Isukwata. I won't ask you to say that. <laughs> but uh, it's in a place called Isukwata, about eight hours driving from Lagos, um, the major city that everyone knows about in Nigeria. And so they know we're coming because, bro, think about this. In America, you have health insurance, or in America, you have your annual checkups. In America, you have Walgreens, CVS, you have pharmacies. Well, in this rural village of Nigeria, we are their annual checkup. Yeah, unbelievable. Three years ago, I counted up just based off basic fees in America. We did, I want to say it was $2.2 million in free medical work. That's amazing. Because we performed surgeries, we removed cataracts with optometrists and ophthalmologists. And so they know we're coming because they're surviving until we get back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just trying to hold on to life, yeah. some of them, 
until we get back. So the only two years we haven't gone, coronavirus and Ebola virus. Really? So just yeah, because you physically were not allowed to go? Not allowed to go, man. Missions has always been important to me, mostly because of my parents supported missionaries as a child. I remember like we would have missionaries come in and speak to our church. And I was excited because I knew that meant we would get to go to Chili's and have uh, chips and salsa <laughs> afterwards. But but I remember hearing these stories of third world countries. And as a preacher's kid living in the suburbs of Chicago, I would be filled with two emotions, fascination and fear. I was fascinated by the thought that this missionary could leave the comforts of America America and leave all the potential and the riches and all the safety behind and go to this third world country to reach people, to help people. And then I was filled with fear by the thought that God might call me to do the same. <laughs> and I remember even growing up as a preacher's kid thinking, well, maybe I can trick God because I used to think that God called us to things that we didn't want to do. I thought that God found joy in making us miserable. And so I remember thinking, well, like, okay, God, I'm willing to go be a missionary, <laughs> thinking that maybe I could trick him yeah, and then he would hey. let me become a professional baseball player instead. Look, dude, I promise you all, especially pastor's kids, yeah. have tried to use reverse psychology on God. That's exactly it. Reverse psychology. You know what, God? It's cool. God, I want to be a pastor. Send me, Lord, and I will go. And it's like, but please, but please don't send me. But oh. I'm telling I'm telling you, those missions trips that I've had the chance to take have been complete game changers, life changers, perspective changers. I've got two daughters now, and I'm excited for the day that I'll take my daughters on trips like that. Is this something where people can go with your family or support? Yeah, livinghopeministries.us. That yeah. is livinghopeministries.us. There are pictures of what we do. You can support and donate, or if you feel led, you'll see applications about joining the process. But nonetheless, man, check it out. Just because it's powerful. And if not our mission trip, because there's several all over. Take just, one. Yeah, take one, wherever you're called. Absolutely. And so here's what I love is just what you've shared in our first few minutes together already. Tell me that you know this, but did you always know that life was more than football? for you and that God had more for you than just football? Because I know a lot of people in the arts and in athletics where there's that shock when it comes time to get on a new road or a chapter comes to an end or however you want to say it, like your playing days are done. Or, you know, in my case or in my industry, it's like, hey, you lost that record deal. The industry's telling you it's time to move on. Did you always know that you were destined for more than just football? Or was there a time where football was anything and everything for you? Man, football was never the end all be all for me. I'll be honest. And it wasn't really just because like it's a game <laughs> like at the end of it all it's a game and a game is cool but like a game isn't saving or changing lives that's why i say there's a difference between your career and your calling your career it's what you do for an income your career is what you do to earn money but your calling i think is more so what you do for significance that's good Football was my career, and now even TV sports, that's my career. That's not my calling. Right. That's not moving the needle. Uncomfortable conversations and having these conversations with people. That's the call. That more so is exactly, that's the call. It's like, don't we talk a lot in our culture about chasing our dreams, and it's so sad to think that 
a lot of people go through their whole life never understanding that there's something deeper than a dream. Mm-hmm. And it's called your calling. Because if all we were doing was chasing our dreams, we can get discouraged enough and give up, or we can face enough opposition and give up. But when we're pursuing a calling, when the closer we get to God's plan for our life, one, that's when the battle heats up, but two, that's when life gets good. And I love hearing you say that because I know a lot of people have when one chapter ends, it's like, well, now what am I going to do? I've watched how many documentaries about athletes just feeling lost when that day came. And I've seen you transition from the football field to the TV studio like a natural. You stepped in to speak for yourself like you've been hosting that show for 10 years. (laughs) It's my favorite. I love watching it. And maybe I'm slightly biased too because I fell in love with your videos on Instagram, but I'm watching you as a communicator as somebody who knows, and you know it in a humble way that God has gifted you as a communicator, the way you deliver, whether you're talking about sports or whether you're talking about racism in our world today, I'm just so drawn to what you're sharing because you do it in an authentic and genuine way. And it's full of humility, but it's also full of life. And people are drawn to that. And so I I feel like the Lord just uniquely gifted you. I feel like every episode of your Uncomfortable Conversations has been incredibly insightful. Probably none more moving than the conversation with this beautiful biracial blended family. Ah, the Ivy family. I thought that conversation was incredible, especially to hear the kids all in the same family. Some of the kids black, adopted, some white, one boy was mixed, and they were all sharing their experience about their fears about life I got to tell you, man, like that was just like so moving to me. I think that might have been the first video I saw that I hit you on Instagram just saying, man, I'm so I was probably one of millions of people reaching out to you and I didn't expect to hear back, but just to share how much that video meant to me and spoke to me and to my family. Man, I appreciate that. So the family you speak of is the Ivy family. And Aaron Ivy is actually a worship leader at the church I went to in Austin called the Austin Stone. And his wife, Jamie Ivy, does so many phenomenal things, one being hosting a podcast. And what a lot of people don't know, Matthew, is a lot of my episodes, they happen organically. Like McConaughey reaches out to me. Chip and Joanna Gaines, they had reached out to me. Um, Roger Goodell had expressed his interest. So now the Ivy family, so many people had hit me up and were like, Emmanuel, We don't want to hear from any more, quote unquote, famous people. Talk to somebody that looks like me. Yes. So many people were also like, Emmanuel, can you talk about this raising black children as white parents? And I'm scrolling through Instagram one day and I see this picture of this family. And I couldn't tell, like, wait, I see black people. I see white people. I see mixed people. What the heck is going on? And they said, like, this is our beautiful family. And that conversation was amazing, particularly When I asked the black children, like, hey, you've seen George Floyd, a black man, be murdered by white police officers. Does it make you feel any differently about your white parents? Mm -hmm. And he was just very honest and candid. And he was like, not really my parents, but it does make me scared of white people in general. And I think it was just powerful for people to hear, like, no, there's a fear, a real palpable fear in a certain demographic walking around this country um, because of what the media is seeing, but portraying, but also because of the reality of some certain situations, man. 
every one of your videos that you've released has shined such an important light from different vantage points and important vantage points. And it's so important for people not to look away, but to pay attention to this. And hearing those kids talk specifically in that moment, Emmanuel, it hurt my heart like in the most significant way. Like it hurt my heart in a way that made me want to see it change. And specifically, I'm thinking about their daughter's story. I think her name was. Mm -hmm. Yep. First of all, I just love that name. And this whole podcast is about the power of story and how God can speak through not only the good, but the bad and the broken chapters of our story too. But I wrote this down. She shared these words. She said, I don't want that to happen to me just because of hatred of our skin color. It's scary. Mm -hmm. And she started to cry. She said, to think I might lose a brother or I might lose lose my my life. life. I don't want to leave leave this family. family. Yeah, man. That makes me start to cry just thinking about it. I want to know, when did you come up with this idea for a video called Uncomfortable Conversation? I know you shared how it sort of developed spontaneous, but where were you when you came up with this idea and decided to give it that title? Really, really, really good question that not a lot of people know the answer to. So I grew up with all white people, essentially all white people, and going to an affluent high school in Dallas, Texas called St. Mark's, predominantly white. But then I played college in NFL football, so I'm immersed amongst black culture. And what I realized, Matthew, the problem in our society is white culture and black culture is very different. And both people have questions about the other group. Mm. The difference is white people know a lot less about black people because there are less black people in America. Not to mention that America is a white world. What I mean by that is America is a world that is inherently run by white people. So you have to have assimilated into white culture to be able to survive, thrive, and live the American dream. Okay, Emmanuel, why are you saying that? Fast forward. The issue right now in our country is that there is a conversational disconnect. Let me do something and call it questions white people have. I'm going to get three white people three black people. We're going to sit around a table. We're going to have questions in a fishbowl. The white people are going to pull these questions out. They're going to read them. They're going to propose them to the black people at the table, one of which would be me, and we'll answer them. Great, great idea. The problem is we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so I couldn't get my friends together Ah, because of COVID. Okay. And so I called one of my dear friends who lived in Dallas, three hours away from Austin. And I was like, Hey, can you drive down? We'll do it together. She is a white woman. I'm a black man. You pose the questions. I'll answer them. The first episode was not supposed to be just me. So as my friend is driving down from Dallas to Austin, she calls me and she says, Hey, I don't know how I feel about the title because I just got off the phone with my Indian friend and she has questions too. Hmm. So it's not just that it's questions white people have. It's more so that it's an uncomfortable conversation. Wow. Okay. How do you feel about calling it uncomfortable conversations? And I was like, ah, that just doesn't have a great ring to it. That just doesn't have enough of a stick to it. So I said, well, you know what? I'm a black man. We'll call it uncomfortable conversations with a black man. I love it. And that is, in fact, how it got its title and how it got its start. I love it. And I love how it's grown the way it has. Are you going to continue to release more videos like this leading up to your book release? Absolutely. I can't stop because this isn't about me. It's bigger than me. It's bigger. I say that this is my Esther moment. Yeah. For those listening who know the text, story in the Bible, Esther, and the famous quote is, who knows whether or not you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. (laughs) And that is Mordecai, a relative of Esther speaking to Esther. And nonetheless, I feel as though it's Emmanuel, who knows whether or not you've come 
to this point in life for such a time as this. I fervently believe I did not play in the NFL just to make a lot of money. And I did not go to my, you know, super prestigious high school just to get a good education. But I think everything I've gone through in life has led me to what I call my Esther moment for such a time as this. And like they said in Esther, it's kind of like, don't for a second think that deliverance and relief won't rise from another place. (laughs) And that's how I feel. It's like, I'm not that special, Matthew. Like God's going to use somebody else. So I might as well be the one to be used um, because it says deliverance and relief will rise. It it. will. And so that's just where I am with all of it. My friends, anybody who really knows me knows how much I love a good meal. But anybody who really knows me like my wife would know how much I want to stay out of the kitchen. That is the truth. But I am thankful for my friends at Freshly because they're allowing me to get some amazing meals that are also health conscious. And it only takes me three minutes to cook them. So when I'm in the studio here at the Story House, I'm working on the podcast or I'm having a songwriting session, sometimes it'll be, let's go get some fast food. That's out the window right now because I am eating healthier than I've ever eaten and the food is delicious thanks to my friends at Freshly. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple because let's be honest, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. And if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to eat it. With Freshly, you can avoid the grocery store and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. In my refrigerator right now is steak peppercorn waiting for me and I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Listen, you get to put your feet up and relax because Freshly's chefs and nutritions have done all the hard work and all you have to do is heat for three minutes and dinner is done. The other thing I love is how many options there are. Over 30 health conscious options that I get to choose from like golden oven fried chicken, which doesn't sound healthy, but somehow they make it healthy. Springtime risotto, which is my favorite and fall apart tender beef brisket. Those are just a few of the options you get to choose from. Join almost one and a half million satisfied customers and skip the shopping, prepping, cooking, and cleanup. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off their first two orders at freshly.com slash west. What? That's freshly.com slash west. And I'm working on a theme song for Freshly. Freshly, yes, please feed me freshly something like that it's it's a work in progress but check them out go to freshly.com slash west and get forty dollars off your first two orders i think this was a quote that you read during your talk with the nfl commissioner where you said sometimes great causes call for great sacrifices Mm -hmm. have you had to sacrifice anything by way of you being so outspoken through these videos i'm curious what kind of response have you received from people has the good outweighed the bad has the negative been loud has it been hateful what has the response been by and large as a result of you releasing these videos beyond just the number of views honestly it's been contrite a lot of contrition a lot of people who were just like man i didn't even realize thank you for that or, um, hey, we wish you would talk longer and expound on this. Man, like, I'm learning so much. Man, hey, I didn't think I was racist or had these kind of racial insensitive thoughts until I listened to your videos. Mm. So thankfully, dude, honestly, like, I've been very protected in all of this. And that there hasn't been a ton of hatred. 
obviously there are some extremists on any side that are like, Acho, your race pandering and Acho, you're doing this or you're that, or I just don't pay any mind to it. I'm like, this isn't even about me, man. I'm just trying to be used for a moment. Mm. Yeah. When you know it's bigger than you, like you just said, it makes it maybe easier to deflect the criticism because you know that you're about a calling and it's not just a career. You're about something bigger than you. I love that you said that. And I believe that to be true. I've seen in the wake of George Floyd's death and in the wake of all of this coming to the forefront again, the discussion of racial division, racial tension that exists in our world. I see all these people like with good intentions trying to have these forums and people, you know, like I said, with good intentions, putting their foot in their mouth, saying something clumsy and then getting canceled. I remember watching a conversation with Lecrae and Louis Giglio. Yeah, man. Louis Giglio says something. And he gets canceled. Lecrae didn't say something in response. And he gets canceled. And he gets canceled. Dude. And I'm standing here, like, as a guy who has a platform of some size. And I'm going to tell you, like, I just want to be honest with you. I watched your videos, and my initial reaction was, you know what? Whatever platform God's given me to reach people, every time you post a video, I just wanted to share it with people to say, hey, this guy's saying something in a way that I don't feel like I could communicate as eloquently and as powerfully as he's doing with these conversations. Please take a few minutes to watch this. And I think it's a safe bet to make, given that I've seen my audiences in front of me over 100 times a year for the last 10 years, that the majority of my fan base <laughs> is white, okay? Uh, not going to lie. I was a little surprised to hear Emmanuel Acho singing <laughs> wedding song that I wrote. My knee jerk was like, I don't know exactly what to say right now, but these videos are speaking to me in a powerful way. And they're making me pray like David prayed, like, Lord, search me and know me and examine my heart. And I wanted to share those videos as a result. So I feel like in a way, like you've helped equip other people and maybe that's why it's been so widespread. Would you say that there's something to that? I do, man. I would say so. And, and I think here's my goal, which is what makes me smile and my heart smiles. You spoke. My goal is to empower and educate other people so that now you can take what I've helped you understand. And now you can go speak. Yeah. Because the reason so many people don't speak out about something is because they don't fully understand it. They want to understand it, but it's hard to inherently get it unless you really like can take a deep dive or unless you experience it for yourself. And so I do think that is why my message has resonated. But also, I'll be honest, bro, I'm walking a tightrope. And if you fall, it is over for you. Again, Lecrae and Louis Giglio, they had great intentions. Lecrae is my dog. Like I talked to Lecrae, I think two, three weeks ago, right before his album released. Right. Lecrae is my homie. Great intentions. But Louis Giglio, in a little bit of admitted ignorance, makes a statement, uses right. a wrong word, a terribly wrong word. Right. And Lecrae, in the heat of the moment, doesn't check him for it. And now they're both canceled. Right. <laughs> and it's like something that has such good intentions, a conversation about race it ends up having a negative implication. But I'll say this, if not for that conversation, then Louis Giglio, along with so many other of my dear white brothers and sisters, they don't realize that that ideology is flawed. Therein lies the change that can come about by the uncomfortable conversation. Bingo. Now you get it. Yeah. Well, so many people were quick to cancel Louis, et cetera. I'm also like, wait a second. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So he allowed himself to hear his heart overflow so now he can check it. Mm. But you can't fix a problem you don't know exists. Well, we shouldn't be surprised that a nation that steps further and further away from God would know less and less about the word grace mm-hmm. and having grace for each other too. And so, I mean, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why cancel culture is alive and well. And you say that you watch those conversations, so you're reminded at every turn that you're walking a tightrope. Do you mean walking a tightrope when you're on television and when you're doing these videos, right? Yeah, I'm walking a tightrope specifically with these conversations. With sports, is easy, man, because you're going to be yeah. loved by 50% of the people and hated by 50% of the people. <laughs> If I pick the Lakers, the Lakers fans love me, Clippers fans. Yeah. Sports is easy. Yeah. You know what you're yeah. getting yourself into. But race is so much more difficult yeah. because race means more. I don't really care who wins an NFL game. I don't care who wins an NBA game. But I do care how my white brothers and sisters feel in this life. And I do care how my black brothers and sisters feel in this life. Well, now more than ever, though, sports and race, the conversations become one and the same. So have you found that you're spending a lot of time on television talking about those matters as well. I watched the NFL season begin, and I saw two anthems played. I saw teams taking different stances, some walking off the field, some kneeling, some standing. You're being called on to give commentary on all of those things, I'm imagining, right? Absolutely. But I love it because I'm well-equipped to do it. And so I'm grateful that since we have to talk about it, I might as well be well-equipped to talk about it. And because I am well-equipped to talk about it, I'm grateful that sports and race are finally colliding because that's like people are going to watch and I'm going to give them an educated opinion. Like you said before, for such a time as this, you've been putting that chair on Fox Sports 1 for a reason. You've had this idea for uncomfortable conversations for a reason. That's an idea that the Lord put on your heart for you to execute and have the kind of reach that you're having. I'm going to ask you, with life being so crazy right now and with you being somebody who is really now on the forefront, one of the leading voices, in my opinion, on this race discussion, helping black and white people better understand each other and better understand what needs to change and how we can be part of that change. I really believe that. As I'm following you on socials, I'm like, for such a time as this is exactly right. I'm guessing you know that it's never been more important for you to keep your faith strong and stay close to the Lord. How do you go about doing that? How important is your faith to you now? And what are the things that you're able to do to protect your time with the Lord in the midst of one, the tightrope you're walking, and two, the crazy schedule that you're keeping? Dude, I'll say number one. Remember in the Old Testament, when Joseph is interpreting dreams and Joseph goes to king of Egypt and is like, hey... You are going to experience like seven years of a drought, of a famine. So stock up. And that's a little bit hyperbole. But my time with Jesus, I'm thankfully like, dude, during the spring, I really stocked up. Hmm. Like in the midst of COVID, God knew like, hey, you're about to be busy, son. I'm about to throw a storm at you. So fill up on Jesus. I love that. And thankfully, I stocked up because now... My life is pure chaos. So now my time with God looks totally different. Before I get on set, I'm like, all right, God, you speak through me. Wow. You say what you want to say. Yeah. Before I do uncomfortable conversations, I'm like, all right, it's all about you, God. Before I have a conversation about the show with top level executives, it's like, all right, God, this isn't about me. This is about you. And I continually tell myself, God, use me until you lose me. Mm. And that's just kind (laughs) of my mantra is like, this isn't about me, man. I'm not that special. I think highly of myself. 
and I even understand I'm not that special. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, all right, God. That's good. You do what you want to do, and let's just see what happens. I love that. How do I go about examining my heart right now in today's world and in my life and in my suburban Nashville existence where it's mostly white kids at my kids' school and looking around at even my circle of friends not being as blended as it should be or whatever the case may be? How do I go about examining my heart to discern where there might be blind spots towards racism in my heart and in my worldview. The first thing I encourage all people to do of any race is release your knuckles, put your fists down, (laughs) and let your guard down. We naturally are defensive people because we live in a world where it is very much so self-preservation. Not just self-preservation as far as our anatomy, self-preservation as far as our minds. We don't want to be racist. We don't want to view ourselves as racially insensitive. We don't want to view ourselves as racially ignorant. We want to think we know everything. And so the first challenge that I give all people is like, hey, take a sec. My pastor told me this once. He said, assume that what someone telling you is right for five minutes, just sit with it, regardless of what they say. Mm. For five minutes, just sit with the fact that they're right. That's good. Wrestle with that for a little bit. Yeah. And then outside of that more practical steps, man, I would say you have to expose yourself to different cultures. Let me give this analogy, which I'm sure a lot of your dear white listeners will understand. I did not grow up with any dogs in my African household. Mm. In Nigeria, you might grow up with a goat. You may grow up with a cow. But you're not going to grow up with a dog or a cat, bro. And so at an early age, I wasn't exposed to dogs. So what's that mean? That means that as an adult, as now a 29-year-old man, when I'm walking through a park, I can't decipher the difference between a dog that is a pet and a dog that is a threat. So if I'm ever walking with my with my white friends, my white friends are like, oh my God, that dog is so cute. Can I pet him? And I'm like, yo, yo, don't pet that dog. It might bite you. Calm down. And they're like, what do you mean it's not going to bite? So then we'll keep walking and I'll be like, oh, that's such a cute dog that's not on a leash. Let me go pet it. And my white friend will be like, Acho, chill out. That dog has rabies. And I'm like, how the heck do you know? They all look the same. And I tell you this very jovial kind of joking analogy because my white brothers and sisters, if they grow up without any black exposure, then when they're walking down the street and they see a black man that's 6'2", 240 pounds like myself, uh-oh, is that black man a threat? Wow. Uh, I don't wow. know because the media told me he is. Wow. But they can't decipher the difference between a black guy with this hood on because he's cold or a black guy with this hood on because he's trying to protect his identity. On the flip side, my black brothers and sisters that grow up without white people, you can't decipher between the white person that's an inherent racist and the white person that's just a little racially ignorant because they didn't grow up with black people. Mm. And so I am a huge proponent, Matthew West, of exposure, man. You have to expose yourself to other cultures. That is the only, whether it's in music whether it's in movies, whether it's in athletics, whether it is in church, whether it is in small groups, whether it is in book clubs, whatever it is, you have to expose yourself to people of other cultures. Otherwise, you'll walk around your whole life scared 
or not scared, but misidentifying. Yeah. And ignorant as a result. Exactly. Man, this book that you're writing, is it your first time you've ever sat down to write a book? <laughs> Dude, absolutely. Remember, this is my calling, not my career. I was working on, you know, writing a sports psychology book and I was working on doing that. Was that what your degree was in? I got my master's in psychology and sports psych. Okay. And my undergrad was in kinesiology. So I was working on doing that when God thrust me into this moment. And now I turn this book, Uncomfortable Conversations, around in four months. Dang. Five months. And so, yeah, this book was just more or less like a God thing. And when does this book release? November 10th on my 30th birthday, sir. But you can pre-order it okay. now. Uncomfortable Combos. Dot com. You can pre-order it now. It, um, it's not just me regurgitating what I said in the episodes, right. but I'm really going fuller, bigger pictures, yeah. different topics. I try to cover everything using real questions from real emails awesome. or real DMs that I've received. Questions like I just asked you. Absolutely. Who's this book for? Ooh, really good question. If I were to tear this, I would say the book is for my white brothers and sisters, number one. If I were to tear it. I would probably, it would allow my white brothers and sisters to feel educated and it would allow my black brothers and sisters to feel vindicated. Mm. And so that is what I would say. Like it would let my white brothers and sisters feel educated and it would let my black brothers and sisters feel like, wait, I've been heard. Like I, people, have, they understand. Where on the list of importance is being heard from the black community? Uh, top three. Top three, right? I think justice, like true justice. Yeah. Because again, and without getting too far into things, I would say people are like, oh, but what about black on black crime? How come you don't hear, you know, the black community complain, so to speak, about that? And remember, one, high level violent crime is all intra-racial. Black people kill black people. White people kill white right. people. Hispanic people kill Hispanic people. But more than that, black person commits a crime against a black person. They will go to jail. Mm. Right now, black people are seeking justice. And I hope that anybody that's listening with a little bit of that confusion, that question answers it for them. Ahmaud Arbery was a black person that was gunned down in Georgia. If that video wouldn't have come out, his killers wouldn't have been arrested. That's what I kept thinking watching it. Remember, his killers were only arrested because the video came out. George Floyd seeking justice. And so justice would be the first thing. I think like contrition would be up there. And I would also say to be heard. Yeah. I talked with Priscilla Shire a couple weeks ago. I had her on my show. Hey, that's family. I didn't realize that you guys were connected. I've gotten to know Anthony over the years, who's just a world. He's the singer that I aspire to be. But (laughs) Priscilla, in my talk with her, like she gave me permission to be clumsy in my questions. I love how you brought redemption to even that conversation with Louis and Lecrae and the good that came out of it. Because I asked her, I said, what would you rather have, a white person stay silent or a white person fumble their way towards trying to like get involved in the conversation and maybe do it clumsily with two left feet? Even your challenge to me, like to submerge yourself in black culture and small groups and book clubs or what all the different examples you gave. And sometimes like in my mind, there's an initial like going, well, if I make an effort like that, it's going to seem like 
I'm trying to appease some sort of white guilt or like there's all these things that make it complex and make it uncomfortable. And yet here we are back at the importance of the word uncomfortable. And what Roger (laughs) said in your conversation, you really can't learn until you're what? Until you're uncomfortable. Until you're willing to be uncomfortable. And so in the best ways, I feel like your videos have impacted me in that way. I have a feeling your book is going to impact so many people in the best uncomfortable way, the kind that's going to bring about change. Can I read this book with my kids? Yes. Now, keep in mind, I have a young adult edition coming out at the new year. Of course you do. Is that the Nigerian in you as well? That you can't just do one book. You got to do it. <laughs> well, get this, dude. Really, what this is is more so realizing the problem starts with our kids, man. Think about it. By the time we're 50, 60, 70, it's not that we're stuck in our ways, but to a degree, like we have our mentalities built in. I want to reach the generation of impressionable kids that are starting to formulate some of these ignorant ideas, and I want to beat it there. That's incredible. And so there's a young adult book that's coming in the new year. Correct. Now, the adult book, I do think you could read a good amount of it to your kids. The young adult book is just going to be more digestible. Yeah, of course. And it's a young adult adaptation to answer some questions that are much more prevalent amongst 12, 13, 14, 15. Whereas this first book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I'm just trying to knock out as many topics as I can for my white brothers and sisters. When George Floyd was killed, the whole music industry gathered together and we did like a blackout Tuesday where we just went silent on social media, no promoting our music and all that stuff. Yep. Emmanuel, I got to tell you, like the hate that came my way on social media alone, it was unbelievable. The messages, seeing the response from people was almost what drove me to have an even greater conviction about it. Like, I don't even think I realized what I was posting until I saw the response from people who support my music saying, well, what about blue lives? What about white lives? What about all lives? Or now what about all buildings? Or like, I'm seeing all these things. And the the people who said, I'm not going to follow you anymore because my husband's a cop or something. I'm like, wait a minute. What would you say for the people who are jumping to their own opinion the hundreds and hundreds of comments, many of them negative, many of them saying, I'm not coming to your show anymore, all because I stood up for, you know, and haven't done nearly enough, but in just one social media post was enough for somebody to make up their mind about me. I would say a couple of things. Number one, early on when I had done uncomfortable conversations with a black man, and I say early on as if it hasn't been only three and a half months. Gosh, right? A whole lot's happened in a few months. <laughs> I was almost like, man, am I doing this right? Because everybody likes me to the point where I was like, wait, if Jesus said that people won't like you and they didn't like me first, obviously I'm paraphrasing very loosely, but I felt kind of convicted, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. People like me too much. And then a little bit of the hate started to trickle in and I was like, ah, good, 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 good. (laughs) That means I'm doing something right. Okay. All right. So that's really how I've had to psychologically reframe my thinking. That's good. Just as a believer, as far as like, okay, good. I'm glad some people don't like me. That means I'm doing something right. But then also it comes down to this for me. If I know in my heart what I'm doing and I can stand behind what I'm doing, then I don't really care 
about what too many other people think. That's right. But then remember what I told you, put down your gloves. Yeah. So many people have their gloves and their fists up because no one ever said that saying black lives matter doesn't mean all lives don't matter. That's right. Black lives matter doesn't come with a subtraction symbol in front of it. Right. Too many people are filling in that blank. Correct. Like black lives matter is just to draw emphasis on the fact that, oh, hey, these black lives matter as well. Obviously, other lives matter. Mm. But right now, we're trying to draw attention to these black lives in the same manner that to say that we're worried about COVID-19 doesn't mean we're not worried about cancer or ALS or or anything else. It just means like, hey, we're drawing a heavy attention to an imminent acute injury or disease right now. So good. That's really how I view all that. Can I ask you one last question? Talk to me. Can you tell the listener what your middle name is? (laughs) My middle name is Chinedu, or Chinedu, but Nigerian accent, heavy, thick, Igbo accent. Chinedu, it means God guides me. God guides me, which is going to lead to my question. I ask every guest, what is your blue couch story? And in short, what that question represents for me is a defining moment in my faith, my faith in Christ, where as a 13-year-old kid, I was a preacher's kid thinking I'd get to heaven because of the family connections, but I'm sitting on a blue couch in my living room. I stumble upon a Billy Graham crusade, and something happened in my life in that moment, and I remember saying a prayer with Billy Graham in the background, holding my mom's hand, and I asked Jesus to be the author of my story. I asked God to guide me when I looked up and I saw what your middle name was and what that meant, I wanted to just close by asking you if there's a blue couch memory that you have, a moment where you as a preacher's kid, where your faith became so real to you that it was undeniable and you truly made the decision that your middle name would be more than a middle name, but it would be the guiding force of your life. I'll say a couple things. The first answer to that, I was seven years old and I had just left church at Priscilla Shire's dad's church, Dr. Tony Evans. He preaches at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Yes, the great Tony Evans. The great Tony Evans. And as I left that church as a seven-year-old, I'm outside my house in Richardson, Texas at the time. And I just remember saying, God, I love you. Take my life. And like that was my like, okay, Jesus, this is my intimate moment, the most young one I remember. But I'll say this, Matthew, and I hope this is powerful because this was my struggle. Grew up pastor's kid. I've never drank. I've never smoked. I've never been that guy. My only vice is I go to a casino and I like to play blackjack. That's it. <laughs> That's it, bro. I played a mess out of some blackjack. But one time I came across this song and the chorus spoke to me because I was like, man, I don't necessarily have like a crazy road to Damascus right. Saul moment where like I was a crazy just killing Christians and now I'm born again. <laughs> right. And so I was like, man, am I lesser than? Yeah, yeah. There's a quote from the song by this Christian rapper named The Truth. Yeah. He says, I ain't got no horror story. God kept me in my youth. I give him all the glory. I thought my de- story didn't flow, but now I know the blood of the lamb has saved my soul and that's my testimony. And I think my testimony, dude, is that I don't have a blue cow story. My testimony is just that, like, God's been walking with me and guiding me. My first name means God with us, and my middle name means God guides me. Mm. I believe that names are incredibly powerful, and God has been with me, and he's been guiding me, 
from day one, man. And, and that's my blue cow story. <laughs> that's exactly why I asked that question, because every answer is unique to the story that it lives within. And God has guided you. God is with you. He's guided you, as you said earlier, for such a time as this. I'm so fired up just talking to you today. And it's just an honor to be able to have you on the show. And I want you to know that whenever that wedding comes around, I'm going to have my suit ready. Heck yes. Wear pants though. Wear <laughs> pants and suit. Okay. No shorts. I'll do that for you for sure. But man, <laughs> hey, seriously, I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with me today and to share what you've shared. You're a huge inspiration to me and I look forward to the day that we can meet in person. My brother, the pleasure is mine, man. We'll connect soon. All right, my friends, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is called My Own Little World. This week, my team informed me that one of my albums is celebrating a birthday, a 10th birthday. 10 years ago this week, my album, called The Story of Your Life, was released into the world. Now, I was a little shocked at first. I guess I've always gone so fast and hard in my career that I never really stopped long enough to think about having music that's already 10 years old. But after the initial shock of that news, I got a little sentimental, went back and listened to The Story of Your Life album. And as I did, I was transported back in Inside the little cabin where I spent several weeks writing every song, and every song was inspired by your story, hence the title of the album, The Story of Your Life. As I listened to this album, I was reminded of Tanya, a single mom whose story inspired the song Strong Enough. I thought about Julie, the teenage kid who said, hey, would you write a song for every kid whose dad has walked out on him and inspired the song Two Houses? And the list goes on. And one by one, we'll unpack these songs as different episodes of the podcast come and go. But today I wanted to focus on one of the songs that was written in the cabin. It's called My Own Little World. Now, this was the one song on that record 10 years ago that was actually my story. Every other song was inspired by your stories. I collected thousands of stories, and here I am 10 years later still collecting your stories, still telling your stories through my music and now through this podcast. The song My Own Little World was my response to the experience of reading thousands of stories, of having my eyes opened to the hurting, to the brokenness, to the needs of other people, and realizing that maybe the population of my own little world has been too small for too long. And that's why I wrote the words of this first verse. In my own little world, it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet In my own little world, population, me I try to stay awake till the Sunday morning church I throw a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts And I turn off the news when I don't like what I see it's easy to do when it's population me. Every day as I would drive out into the woods to this little cabin to read stories and write songs, I would see this little green sign of the little town that I was driving into. And if you can picture it, you know these little signs that will say the name of the town and then the population, or pop and then a number. Now this particular town had a pretty small number. That image stuck with me, and that's what really spurred this whole concept of population me 
Going from population me to population we, and guess what? That became the name of our nonprofit organization. Now you might understand the significance of that. But you know, I wanted to feature this song today because the conversation I just had with Emmanuel Acho, that's what this conversation did for me. And that's what conversations like this do for me. They open my eyes, and I hope they can open all of our eyes to ask the same questions that this chorus asks right here. Check it out. What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose? I could be living right now outside my own little world. I'm so thankful that God put it on my heart to collect people's stories. And all these years later, I'm still collecting stories, still writing songs inspired by you guys, even doing this podcast to help encourage you in the story of your life. Here's one of the biggest takeaways from that experience 10 years ago, sitting in a cabin, reading your stories. I realized there's a great big world outside my door, and there's a whole lot of people who are hurting. You know that old saying, I quote it often, be kind, because everybody is fighting a hidden battle. And that's why I wanted to close this song with a prayer, a prayer that I feel is fitting for our world today. Listen to these words, and may we all pray this same prayer. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me open hands and open doors. Put your light in my eyes and let me see that my own little world is not about me. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me open hands and open doors Put your light in my eyes and let me see That my own little world is not about me He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why, as always, this final segment of the show is called Dad Vice. He is my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, thanks for joining me. I put this segment at the end of every episode just in the hopes that you can send myself and all the listeners out with an encouraging word, so I know you've got one for us today. Can you share with us? Yes, I believe I have a timely one. It comes from Luke chapter 10, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. I would encourage everyone listening today to take extra time and and look through Luke chapter 10 and let God speak to them of what he's trying to teach us here. What we have in this discourse here in Luke chapter 10, we have a lawyer, one who was an expert in the law, going to Jesus and asking him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gave him an answer from Luke 10, 27. Jesus told this lawyer, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it was a powerful discourse there. And the lawyer, the expert of the law, immediately asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus illustrated his answer by the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all grew up hearing about the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's a powerful story. It's about a, a man who took a, a journey, and while he was on that journey, there were thieves that came and beat him up, took everything he had, and uh, along comes three people, a priest, a Levite, and a Good Samaritan. The priest looked at him and went to the other side. The Levite looked at this man broken and beaten and half dead and went to the other side. But a Samaritan came along, and that Samaritan bandaged his wounds. He loved him. He put him on his donkey and took him for help and also told the people that were helping him to help this half-dead man that he had come back and pay the rest of what it cost the next day. Jesus then asked this expert lawyer, who do you think was the true neighbor. The lawyer said, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus responded to this lawyer and said, you go and do the same. And that is our challenge today. In light of what's happening in our world today, we can easily find reasons to pass by on the other side. Now, it's interesting that in this parable that the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans, but it was the Samaritan that came along to help the Jewish man. In light of what's happening in our world today, we can easily find reasons to pass by on the other side excuses to ignore someone's suffering or pain. There are three quick challenges, Matthew, from this parable. Be the one who stops. Don't be the priest or the Levite. Be the one who stops. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth, 1 John three eighteen. Secondly, be the one who loves without prejudice, without bias, Luke six thirty five. But love your enemies and do good. Expect nothing, and your reward will be great. And then thirdly, be the one who gives. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. This is a great quote that I found. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew your neighbor would act, look, believe, and love differently than you. And it's kind of the whole point. So now more than ever, let's be the one who stops. Let's be the one who loves without bias. Let's be the one who gives. I love that. Without bias, without prejudice. Yes. I want you to write that down today if you're listening to this. Be the one who stops. Be the one who loves without prejudice and be the one who gives. God's giving you opportunities. They're all around you. The question is, are your eyes open? Is your heart open? And are you ready to change some areas of your life that will make you look more like the Good Samaritan? Dad, yes. thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matthew. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank my guest and my friend, Emmanuel Acho. How incredible is he? Make sure you pick up a copy of his book. We will post a link in the show notes. And as always, you can find all of the information about every episode of the Matthew West podcast at matthewwest.com slash podcast. Thanks for making this podcast part of your week. And I hope you're leaving challenged and inspired. 
Most of all, just remember, you get one shot at this, all right? Make the most of the one story that God's put you on this earth to write. But always remember who the real author of your story is. It's your story for His glory. God bless you, and I'll see you next week on the Matthew West Podcast. Seriously, I, I, I do.